Would you agree that marriage is a tough relationship? How many of you would agree with that? How many of you would agree? No, no cheers or boos, all right? How many of you would agree that in marriage it's like the highest of highs and the lowest of lows? You can all be experienced together in the same day? I mean, can, are you with me on that? How many of you in the room have been married maybe a year or less? Stand up if you've been married a year or less in our room. All right, congratulations. Awesome, awesome. Rita, okay. How about over 50 years? Anybody in the room, over, maybe your spouse has died, but you were married for over 50 years? Stand up, stand up. That's great. Wow, that's great. Um, marriage is tough. Marriage is really tough and strong. And last November, when I was planning these sermons, this is where it fell. It fell today to talk about adultery, talk about divorce. And next week, we're going to talk about some homosexual concerns of our day. And so I don't encourage you to bring your children in here next week. Um, Next week, it's going to be a little PG-13. And so I strongly suggest that you put them back in the children's environments. And we're going to help each other. Today and next Sunday, we're going to help each other. How do we navigate through these difficult times? All right? So here's our scripture verse. We're in the Gospel of Matthew, the next section out of Matthew chapter 5. Let's look at these verses together. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Aren't you glad you came to church today? If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off, throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go to hell. All right? Now let's go from Matthew chapter 5 to Matthew chapter, um, well, let's first, yeah, chapter 19. There we go. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them. Some Pharisees came to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and for every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said... For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Well, why then, they ask, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? It's a good question. Well, Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it is better not to marry. Now, we think that we're bombarded with social issues and social questions today. So was Jesus. 2,000 years ago, Jesus was asked some pretty tough questions, and there's a context for this. 2,000 years before that, Moses was asked the same kinds of questions. And so for thousands of years, all of us have been struggling with how do we respond to these issues in our lives. And so my attempt today and my attempt next Sunday is to help us with a Christian biblical response. How do we navigate through these difficult issues? Because they're not going away. And they haven't gone away. They were in Jesus' day, and they were in Moses' day. 
Before we do that, I, wanna, I came up with about 24, and we won't get through all of these. I came up with 24 really interesting facts, though, about divorce. And, and some of these, I think, will kind of surprise you. So let's look at these. Some of these are sad. Some of these are hilarious. But let's look at some of these together, okay? Number one, according to a study conducted on American men and, and women aged 15 to 44, couples who start living together before marriage are more vulnerable to divorce. I thought that was interesting. Number two, according to the U.S. Census Bureau, first marriages that end in divorce have an average lifespan of eight years. I guess if you can make it to nine years, you're going to make it, right? Number three, divorce rates in the Indian subculture were found to be lower compared to other Asian countries. Now, I don't know why I included that. I just thought that little factoid was interesting, okay? That was free. Number four, people in second marriages are less likely to get divorced because of the experience they gained from first failed marriages. Would some of you agree with that? Okay, all right, number five. Again, this is just a fact. The the Philippines is the only country where divorces are illegal. Well, other than the Vatican City, okay? Number six, in Japan's whatever temple, unmarried, unhappy married women could write their divorce wishes on paper and flush them down the toilet. And apparently they do. They do that. I don't like you. I'm going to flush you down the toilet. Okay, number seven. According to a survey in the United Kingdom, 50% of divorcees regret their decision to divorce. That's a bummer. All right, the next one. In 2012, an Italian bride asked for a divorce after the husband brought his mother on the honeymoon. (laughs) I would too, wouldn't you? Ditch that guy. All right, number nine. According to research at the University of Alberta, children whose parents have have divorced are more likely to drop out of school. Number 10. In the United States, on the average, women take 3.1 years to remarry after a divorce. Men, on the other hand, take more time to move on and get remarried 3.3 years. I thought, there's not much difference between 3.1 and 3.3, but that's the fact, all right? Number 11. Marriages where women are two or more years older than their husbands are 53% more likely than marriages where their husbands are three or more years older or a year younger than their wives. If you understood all that, you have a high IQ. Okay, (laughs) number 12. According to some researchers, men are eight times more likely to commit suicide after a divorce. Their chances of suffering from depression and heart attacks also double. The point, men don't do well with divorce. Okay, next one. In the United States, two-thirds of the divorce cases are filed by women. I did not know that. Did you? I didn't either. Number 14. In Italy, nearly half of divorce proceedings mentioned the social networking app, WhatsApp. And so I went back to our staff and those that are under 30, and I said, what in the world is this app? And they said, oh, it's like so-and-so and so-and-so. I said, oh, that's like Viber. And they said to me, they said, well, what's Viber? I said, you don't know what Viber is? They said, oh, that's the app for old people. <laughs> I said, that's funny, but you're all fired, okay? <laughs> the next one, number 15. Number 15, research shows that if only one of the partners smokes, a divorce is 75 to 91% more likely. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? Don't smoke. Okay, number 16. In 2011... A 99-year-old Italian man 
divorced his wife 60 years after he found that his 96-year-old wife had had an affair in the 1940s. <laughs> Dude, you made it. Just, just, just forgive and go on. You, you had this one in the bag. All right. Um, let's go back to Matthew chapter 19, verse 3. Matthew chapter 19, some Pharisees came to him to test him. I don't like the word test as much as I like the Greek word, which means trap. Other translations use the word trap. They're coming to Jesus to trap him. And they're asking him this question. And what they're asking him is, what camp do you fall into? You see, there were two different schools of thought when it came to divorce. And so they're asking Jesus, are you in the conservative camp? Are you in the liberal camp? Some Pharisees came to him to test him, and they asked, is it lawful? We got Jesus. He can't answer this. We've trapped him. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? And that's the point. Don't miss that. Is it, is it lawful for any reason? If I just, whatever, is it lawful? And so they've got Jesus trapped, they think. Now, when Jesus responds to them, we've got to understand there are two cultures going on. There's the Jewish culture going on, and there's the Greco-Roman culture going on. And so when Jesus has asked this question, the background to all of this are these two different cultures. In the Jewish culture, they claim to have a really high view of marriage. They claimed that marriage was important. In fact, in the law, it said you got to get married. It's a sacred duty to get married, and you've got to have kids, and you've got to have a lot of kids. And if you can't have kids, you, can't, you keep marrying other people until you have more kids. But in reality, the Jews did not have a high view of marriage. In reality, women were a thing. Women were at the disposal of their father or of their husband. In, in fact, a woman in that culture could not divorce her husband. But a man could divorce his wife. And so the two rabbi schools that they're trying to ask Jesus about is, are you in the school of Shammai? Are you in the school of Hillel? And the rabbi Shammai, S-H-A-M-M-A-I, the rabbi Shammai said, there's only a few reasons why you can divorce your wife. But the rabbi Hillel, H-I-L-L-E-L, the rabbi Hillel said, you can divorce your wife for any reason. She burns your eggs. Get rid of her. She doesn't have your underwear folded right. Just, you know, any and all reasons. And so they're trying to trap Jesus and say, Jesus, which of the two rabbinical schools do you fall into? Now, the same time going on is the whole Greco-Roman thing. But let me, let me read to you Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1, before we get off the Jewish culture. If a, this is what Moses wrote. If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing. That's what they're asking Jesus. If, if, does she have to displease me a little bit? Or does she have to displease me a whole lot? That's exactly what they're asking Jesus. It's a funny question, isn't it? How displeasing does she have to be before I can legally send her down the road? Now, in the Greco-Roman world, we all think that morality in America is bad today, and it's not good, probably never been worse in our culture. But in the Greco-Roman world, America today looks like candy land compared to the Greco-Roman world that Jesus wrote in. In fact, here's what one of their philosophers, Demosthenes, said this. Demosthenes said this, we have Cortesians for the sake of pleasure, we have concubines for the sake of daily cohabitation, and we have wives for the purpose of having children legitimately. You've heard of the philosopher Seneca. Seneca writes about the average woman had, had been married eight different times. 
The average woman in that culture was married and divorced as many as eight times. And in the culture that Jesus is trying to answer this question, there's bestiality, there's pedophiles, there's homosexuality, there's everything you can imagine sexually off the chart. And so when people say in the world the morality's never been this bad, that isn't true. It probably is true in America, but it's not true in the world. In the culture that Jesus is writing in 2,000 years ago, things could not have been any more out of control. And so they're asking Jesus this question, and they're basically saying, hey, is it lawful? Is it lawful to get rid of your wife for any reason? And and Jesus responds. Look what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 again. Just look at these verses. So Jesus is responding. You shouldn't commit adultery. You've heard that it was said. Well, they all heard this. This is the Ten Commandments. You've, you've heard what Moses wrote about. You've heard what the angel wrote about on the tablets of stone and gave them to Moses. He came down Mount Sinai. You've heard this. But I tell you, now here's what Jesus does, as Jesus does with everything on the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus raises the bar so high, nobody can reach it. You go through Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and you notice in every time, Jesus says, well, it used to be this way, but I tell you this. And you've heard about this, but I tell you this. Well, long ago it used to be this, but I tell you this. So Jesus takes now one of the commandments, thou shalt not commit adultery, and he now raises it out of the roof, out of sight, beyond what anybody can ever reach. You've heard that it was said, but I tell you, that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And they're all going, oh my gosh, are we in trouble, right? Well, you know what? That's the point. We are all in trouble. You know what the point is? We've all sinned sexually. If If you're 15 or over 15, every one of us in this room has fallen short of this standard. If you're 15 or older, every one of us in this room has committed adultery or committed fornication or we have done pornography or we have, even with this one, looked at someone with a deep-seated lust inside of our hearts. We, we have thought about something that we shouldn't do. We've said something we shouldn't have said. We took a step forward with somebody we shouldn't have taken. Everybody in the room has sinned sexually. Can everybody just take a deep breath? (sighs) We've all done it. We've all done it. And that's the point. So I shared this with our staff this past Tuesday. And in our staff, I said, staff, this is what we do. Churches want to kind of take this down and dumb this down because we can't live this standard and we all have a gap between where we are and this standard. We, 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 we want to pull this down. We, we, we want to dumb down the grace of God. It's not ordinary grace. You don't want ordinary grace. You want amazing grace because amazing grace fills the gap. You want the gospel. You want the Holy Spirit. You want God to fill the gap in your life. And and that's what Jesus is offering. You can't keep this, but I can. I forgive you, I can cleanse you, and I fill the gap. And so this is the beauty of this Sermon on the Mount. This is why we need Christ. 
Christ comes to fill the gap. Christ comes to offer forgiveness, and we don't dumb it down. He fills the gap and allows us to go forward. So we've all messed up in this area. We all have. We've all made great mistakes. Look at verse 31 and 32. He says this, Anyone who divorces his wife and gives her a certificate of divorce, but I tell you, anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality, see, what's Jesus doing? He's answering which school? He's in the school of Shammai. He's not in the school of Hillel. I'm not going liberal here, says Jesus. I'm offering you the most conservative rabbinical school there is, the school of Shammai. And Jesus made it clear where he landed. And and, and Jesus is always trying to get us to be moral. Why, why Why is God and why does Jesus, throughout the scriptures, always try to emphasize morality? Why does he always want you to be moral? Why, why does God and Jesus always try to get you not to be immoral? I have a wife. I have two wonderful daughters. I have a son. Let me give you an illustration. If you're moral, I can trust you with my wife. If you're immoral, I cannot trust you with my wife. If you're moral, I can trust you with my daughters. I don't worry about my son as much. He's 24, he's 6'3", but he's a little boy. If, if, if he was a little boy, if you're immoral, I cannot trust you with my son. You see, moral people are safe. The reason you want to be moral and the reason I want to be moral is morality brings safety. It's the same thing with your business. If you've got people in your business who are not, who are not moral, they're immoral, immoral people will lie to you, immoral people will cheat you, immoral people will betray you in your business, in your schools, in your neighborhoods, in your homes. Why is God always bringing about morality? Because moral people are safe, and immoral people are not safe. So I would never date anybody that's immoral. I wouldn't, if you're a lady, I wouldn't date an immoral man. You can't trust him. If you're a guy, I wouldn't date an immoral girl. You can't trust her. Morality is God's safety net, and he always brings this to us. All right, let's look at the next verse. Go, go to the next one, if you would, Matthew 19. So Jesus responds. It's kind of the same conversation going on in 5 and 19. Jesus responds, well, haven't you read? See, they're trying to trap him. Haven't you read that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female? We're going to talk a lot about that next week. And Jesus said, and for this reason, and Jesus goes all the way back to Genesis. He goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. What, what is marriage? Marriage is one man. Marriage is one woman. And the two of them join together. Two different families, two different backgrounds, two different ideals. And it's the two becoming one. One in flesh one in purpose, one in values, one in goals. That's what marriage is. Look at the next verse, verse 6. So they're no longer two, but they're one flesh. And then he says this. He says, therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. This this is going to hurt a little bit. This is going to sting. Because many of you in the room are divorced and you've remarried and you've been remarried once or twice or three times, and there's a gap, and I know there's a gap, and I know there's grace, and I know God came and he filled the gap, and I know the grace of God's given you a great hope and a great future. But I just want you to know God's plan was one man, one woman together for a lifetime. 
And I'm not sure that you can separate this. You see, I know you've moved on. I know maybe that first marriage wasn't good, but, but it was a part of you. It became a part of you. And when this verse says, therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate, I think the answer is nobody can. Nobody can separate you from that first spouse. Now, you can go forward. There can be a gap. The grace of God can fill it, and you can have a productive life. But let's be real clear. It's one man one woman for a lifetime. That's the plan. Oh, there's grace. Oh, there's forgiveness. Oh, there's a future. Oh, there's ministry. You're not second class. There's greatness. But this is just reality that you cannot really separate what God puts together. Next verse, verse 7 says this. Well, they ask him, can't you see the the wheel spinning in these poor disciples' minds? Their brains are hurting right now. Jesus just laid a bomb on them, and the disciples are scratching their head going, well, 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 why then did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce? I mean, I mean Jesus, there's Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1, that if she's displeasing, you can like go forward. Why did Moses do that? Here's what Jesus said. Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. And that's so true in marriage. Isn't marriage such a reflection of your heart? Oh my gosh, it's a mirror. You think you're good, you think you're great, you think you're unselfish, you think you're kind. All of a sudden, marriage is a reflection of your heart. And what he's saying here is, this was never God's plan. But because of some hardness of your heart, And then Jesus said this, it it was not this way. It was not this way at all from the beginning. So let's talk about today how we can grow our marriages for a few minutes. How, How can we grow? Because I've always heard this, the best marriage to work on is the one you're in. Okay? The best marriage to work on is is the one you're in. Doesn't that make sense? And and, and so nobody gets married and says, you know what? I want to have a terrible marriage. I want to be loser marriage material, you know? I I think I've done 500 weddings. Danita would probably confirm. I bet I've done at least 500. Not one single couple has ever gotten married going, I don't think it's going to work. You know, it might work about two or three days or, you know. Nobody, everybody in this room wants to have a great marriage. Everybody in this room wants to grow their marriage to greatness, right? Six of you do at least, okay? The rest of you can go home, all right? Um, So let's talk about 10 different ways that we can grow our marriage to greatness. Number one, I take you. That just sounds so simple. Out of all, guys, out of all the other women in the world, I take you. I don't take her, I don't take her, I don't take her, I don't take her. I take you. And and ladies, it's the same thing. Everybody else just gets off the menu, okay? There's only one person on the menu, and that's your spouse. Number two, I set self aside. I wish somebody would have told us this. Maybe they did. Maybe we didn't listen. I was 23. Danita was 20. I I got married for what it it could bring to me. I've told you this before. She's 20. She's hot. What's in this for me? That's why I got married. Okay? 
your pastor's not very spiritual, okay? <laughs> but, but, that, but I wish somebody would have told me it's not what you can get, it's what you can give. I wish somebody would have come alongside of me. I am so stoked about our wedding chapel and our whole marriage mentor process because our mentors are going to come alongside all of these people and tell them it's not about you, big boy. Number three, okay? I focus on changing myself. Most of the time, people are trying to change their spouse. Most of the time, she doesn't do this, he doesn't do this, if only she will. And how much emotional capital have you spent trying to change your spouse? And just ask all those people a while ago who stood up, 50 years or older, yeah, I ain't changed her a bit. She's still stubborn as a mule. No, he still eats too much chocolate. I mean, you ask them, those spouses have not changed in 50 years. Now, there's been some adjustments, but, but you, you change you. And when you change things get better. Number four, I grow out of my immaturity. Have you noticed how all these start with the letter I? It's what I can do. Now, what does it mean to grow out of your immaturity? How is maturity measured? Maturity is measured by money. Immature people spend money frivolously and foolishly. It's measured by work. Immature people go to work when they feel like it. Mature people go to work when they, when they don't feel like it. It's measured by your speech. Immature people have no filters. Mature people think before they speak. And so it's time to grow out of my immaturity. Number five. Yeah, number five. I lavish my mate with grace. Oh, my goodness. If you don't lavish your mate with grace, you're not going to be married very long. You won't. You criticize and critique and slam dunk, it, 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 it won't last long if, you, if there's not a lot of grace in the marriage. Number six, I remain or I become humble. Boy, isn't that true how necessary that is to, to be humble in marriage? Danita and I were doing a church service kind of like this, sitting like this, and I was on one side, she was on the other side, and a question from the audience came in. They said, uh, Danita, have you ever considered divorce? I was kind of curious about her answer myself. <laughs> and, and, and they said, have you ever considered divorcing Kurt? And she didn't miss a beat. She said, no, I have never considered divorce, but I have contemplated murder on numerous occasions. <laughs> I, went, I have slept with one eye open ever since then. Number seven, number seven, I cherish our healthy differences. I think this is a big one. Yesterday, um, I had like three places to be before 11.30 a.m. yesterday, and I was in a real hurry, and we're having a whole bunch of people coming over and some of Ethan's band and blah, blah, blah. And so I said, I'll go to the grocery store with you. Yep, I'll go with you. So we go to the grocery store. Now, if I'm in a hurry at the grocery store, all I got to do is have the cart and have my arm, and I go right down the aisle, and I'm just raking everything in, okay? I don't care if I like it or not. I'm just all the stuff on the shelves. Just I'm in a hurry. We're in a hurry. I look at Danita, and she's in the center of the aisle, and she's got different items, and she's reading the labels. I'm about to have a heart attack, and, I, and she, she's just reading the labels, and she'll pick up the other one, and there's like three. That, I'm thinking, buy all three of them. I don't care. Buy all three of them. And, and I thought, okay, this is a healthy difference because what's she doing? She cares about the family. She cares about all of our health. It's not that I don't. I'm just in a hurry, right? But, but you learn there's incredible differences 
between you and your spouse. Uh, Even though she was making healthy choices, I lost at least a month of my life for the stress. Number eight, love, respect. We're going to talk about this next week as well. These are out of Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 and verse 33 say this. Husbands, we love our wives as much as Christ loved the church. We're going to talk about that next. Next week, I'm going to, I'm going to help us. This is, I'm, we're not slamming next week. We're, we're, going to, we're, going to, we're going to be very resourceful, hopefully. And the last part of that says, and the wife must show that she, she shows respect because there needs to be respect there to the wife, to the husband. All right, let's, let's finish this list. I pour spiritually into our marriage. I think it's so important that you and your spouse lean in spiritually. I don't know what that means for you. Is that a scripture verse together in the morning? Is that a prayer at night before you all go to bed? Is that making church or a small group? I don't know what that means for you. But I know without it, your marriage is not going to be as healthy as it possibly could be. And then number 10 is always, always, always forgive. It needs to be a lot of forgiveness. Now, I'm not talking about you know, something, murder or molestation. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about the normal ebb and flow of your marriage. Lots and lots of forgiveness. Well, I, I want to close with this picture of, of Lady Liberty because you need to pick one of those. Of those 10, what do you need to work on? Which, which is the one that's most essential for you, for you to step forward in? You can be single. Those all apply to pretty much single people as well. Lady Liberty here has got the tablet, the law in the, the one hand, and she's got the torch in the other. And I, I like our Statue of Liberty because on the Statue of Liberty is, is inscribed the Declaration of Independence. Our July 4th, 1776 is etched on Lady Liberty. What I like about this is I see that as our ticket. Number one, we've got the Scriptures. We've got the guidance. We've got the direction. We know what to do. God's given us his direction throughout his scriptures in his book. But also then, as Christians, as believers, we work really hard to, like, be a torch to show other people that, yeah, we got these issues, and, yeah, we got these problems, and, yeah, we're still imperfect, but, but, but we're going to shine. And Jesus says to let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good deeds, and they may glorify your Father who is in heaven. And so we've, we've got the Scriptures, and we've got the opportunity to, to let the grace fill the gap. And that's what I guess I really want you to get today, is that no matter where you are on this level, the standards are high, and you never, ever dumb down the standards. But you always ask the Holy Spirit to come in and to raise you up and to fill up the gap and to give you purpose and to give you direction and to give you ministry and to give you life. So I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come down front. Maybe it's time for prayer. Maybe you're hurting. Maybe you just went through a divorce. Maybe you're contemplating an, an adulterous relationship. Maybe you're about to do something really stupid and you want some prayer today? Maybe things are going well, and you just want somebody to have a prayer of protection over your marriage or over your family. Maybe you're engaged today. Maybe you're single, and you want a wife, or you want a husband. You just just want special prayer. I'm going to ask the prayer partners to come down. I'm going to ask all of us to stand up, and I'm going to pray for us. Our Heavenly Father, in this country, we're in trouble with marriage. But as a church, 
we're going to let our torch shine brightly because we've got the tablet. We've got the scriptures. We've got the truth. And so we come before you, our Heavenly Father, and we pray for blessings and favor on every wife, every husband in this room. May we work on ourselves to grow ourselves so that we can become better marriage people and better marriage partners. God bless our marriages and help us to take those steps to grow our marriages to greatness. In your name, Jesus.